Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Driscoll's. Only the finest berries. Hello, young chefs, and welcome back to Mystery Recipe. I'm Molly Birnbaum, editor-in-chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. And I'm Mitzi. Admit, Molly's right-hand gal and co-host on the show. Every week on Mystery Recipe, we'll be talking about the fun, fantastical, and fascinating sides of a different kitchen ingredient. Plus, at the end of the season, we'll use all the ingredients to cook a mystery recipe together. Can you guess what it is yet? So far, we know it will contain water, brown sugar, walnuts, oats, and crisped rice cereal. We're getting closer! Today is day two of crisped rice cereal week. That's right, and we have a rice-filled edition of Tricky Trivia, followed by a puffed-up interview in Ask a Grown-Up. And to round off today's episode, our friend Andrea is back with some shiny new tips in how-to time. Plus, I'll fill you in on my ice skating classes. You're still taking those? Can't wait for that, Mitzi. But first, the theme. Tastes good. Ooh. Crazy. I did not know that. Mystery recipe. And we're back. Woohoo! So tell me all about your ice skating lessons. What have you been learning lately? Well, I've started to try to learn swizzles, which is a move you do when you start with your skates close together, then try to push them out and pull them back together, kind of like you're making an oval shape. I'm starting to get a hang of forward swizzles, but backward swizzles are, I can confidently say, my nemesis. I just can't figure them out. Oh man, I know how that feels. Yeah. Remember how I told you about my first class when I fell on my butt about a hundred times? I do. Well, in my last class, I probably fell on my butt about 150 times. That sounds painful. Maggie, Maggie! Hey, friends. Hola, amigos. Hey, Meg. All right, here's my seat. Testing, testing. One, two, three. Excelente! Maggie, Eggie is in the building. Woohoo! So, Mitzi, tell me more about you falling on your butt 150 times. Ugh, it's because I've been taking ice skating classes, and I'm trying to learn how to do a move called a backwards swizzle. And so far, I've been falling a lot. That's awesome. Huh? Sorry, not awesome that you're falling. Awesome that you're learning how to ice skate. I love skating, too. Yeah, that's awesome, Meg. I don't have any other kitchen equipment friends that also ice skate. Meggie Eggie to the rescue. I'll skate with you any time, Mitzi. Maybe Meg can even help you with your backwards swizzle, Mitzi. I'm no swizz-wizz, but I'd be happy to share my technique with you. We could maybe go to my usual ice skating rink. Meg. Maggie. Maggie the Great. Maggie Eggie. Swizz Wiz is exactly the nickname I picked out for myself when I first started taking lessons. I mean, first I wanted to call myself the Pearl Spin Prodigy, but Pearl Spins are way too hard for me to learn anytime soon. I'd love to come with you to your rink. Excelente. What can I do when we're there to help you? Well, I've been ice skating for a few years now, so... I'm pretty comfortable on my skates. I take lessons when the rink is closed, so it's just me and my instructor, and I don't have to worry about running into anyone else. You should come to my next lesson. I would love that. Hooray! 
can go during open skating hours, too. I'd ask you to be my guide and help make sure I don't run into anyone and that no one runs into me. It'll be fun. We'll get to skate holding hands. Perfect. Either way, count me in, Becky. Maybe we can go a little later because now I know it's probably time for our next segment, Tricky Trivia. Never stop making timer-related puns. We won't. Meg, are you ready for some Tricky Trivia? You can count on me. All right, here's how it's going to work. I will give you a fact all about our ingredient theme for this week, and you get to help our listeners decide if it's true or false. Let's get trivial, trivial. An Olivia Newton-John song reference? A place where nobody dared to go before on this podcast? With a Xanadu reference on top of it? Molly, I have never respected you more. Thank you, Meg. Okay, back to tricky trivia. Here's your first one. True or false? In Australia, Rice Krispies cereal is called Rice Bubbles. So is this true or false, Meg? Is Rice Krispies cereal called Rice Bubbles in Australia? Oh, I like this one. Hmm. I mean, I know that sometimes big brands change the name of certain products for different parts of the world. Like Cool Ranch Doritos are apparently called Cool American Doritos in some European countries, which is amazing. I'm a cool American Dorito. (laughs) Me too. So for that reason, I'm going to go with true. Australians get to eat rice bubbles for breakfast while we eat Rice Krispies. That's right. Sometimes brands change the name of the product that's being sold in different countries. There are lots of different reasons. Your Doritos example is a good one. Ranch is super popular in the United States, but it's not actually that common in other countries. So the name got changed because Cool Ranch wouldn't make sense to people buying that flavor of Doritos somewhere else. So cool! American Doritos. Agreed. Let's see if you can go two for two. True or false? Corn and rice are the only grains you can puff. So Meg, is this true or false? Are corn and rice the only two types of grains you can puff? Hmm. All right. The first thing I need to remember is that there are lots of different types of grains. Rice and corn, like you said, Molly, but also wheat, barley, oats, quinoa, and a bunch more. So the question is, of all the grains out there, can you only puff corn and rice? There's that big word again. Only. Since I know there are so many different grains, I think people probably puff more than just corn and rice. So I'm going to say false. Corn and rice are not the only grains you can puff. You are correct, Meg. Gracias, Molly. You can pop all sorts of grains. Other grains won't burst open like popcorn does when it opens up, but they will get a little bit bigger. Puffed grains can be crunchy, and they'll taste a little bit nutty. You can add them to trail mix, on top of a salad for a little crunch, or even on top of yogurt for breakfast. Ooh, I'll have to experiment with a few different grains. I can figure out how to make some really pop-notch grains. (laughs) Nice one. Ready for your last question? Absolutely! Here it is. True or false? Rice is the main source of nourishment for about half the world's population. 
So Meg, is this true or false? Is rice the main source of nourishment for about half the world's population? Hmm, this is a tough one. But before we get too much further, there's a big word in this question, Molly. Nourishment. Maybe it would be nice to remind our listeners what that means. Excellent thought there, Meg. Would you do the honors? Happy to. Nourishment, listeners, is the action of nourishing someone. Nourishing means eating foods that have things we need in them. Things like vitamins, proteins, fats. Nourishment is just a fancy word for the food we eat to stay alive. Well defined, Meggie. In short, nourishment is food. Thanks. So, back to the question. I know that rice is a big part of a lot of different cultures and cuisines. But I don't know if that also means it's that many people's main source of nourishment. Half the world's population is billions of people, almost four billion. It's hard to imagine that many people rely on rice so much. I'm going to say false, Molly. There are so many foods in the world. Rice is not the main source of nourishment for half the world's population. Ah, uh, I'm sorry, Meg, but that one is actually true. Half of the world's population really does rely on rice for their main source of nourishment. Rice contains minerals, vitamins, and fiber that your body needs, and many people around the world rely on it as the biggest part of their diet. That means for billions of people around the world, rice makes up 50 to 60% of the total calories they eat in a day. That's so interesting, Molly. I had no idea that it was such an important food. Definitely. And two out of three right today? Meg, that's great. Thanks, Molly. I can't believe we only have a few more tricky trivia segments left. Yeah, Maggie. Look on the bright side. You still have a few more tricky trivia segments left. That's true, Mitzi. Love the positivity. And I agree. I am both sad that I only get to do a few more tricky trivia segments, and I am also happy that we have a few more left. Me too! Me three! Chad! Rad Chad is in the building, folks! Okay, I have not been called Rad Chad before, but I am totally into it. Oh, good. Since I've been calling myself Maggie Eggie and Mitzi's going to be the Swizz Wiz, I thought you needed a cool nickname, too. Amazing. And Mitzi, are you still working on that backwards swizzle? I am. And Maggie is going to help me out with it. She ice skates, too. It's always fun to do something you enjoy with a friend, like doing Ask a Grown-Up with Molly. Speaking of which, who are you talking to today, Chad? Well, today I'm going to talk to a food scientist all about how sound and taste work together. Ah, oh, amazing! And while you do that, Meg and I can go maybe practice those swizzles. Oh, is there an ice rink nearby? Not an ice rink per se, but I did clear a shelf in the walk-in freezer that I use from time to time. Count me in! Perfect. Have fun, Meg and Mitzi. It's time for a quick word from our sponsors. Grown-ups, these ads are for you. Hey, grown-ups. I wanted to tell you about one of our cookbooks, Gabby's Latin American Kitchen. Has your young chef ever tried empanadas, made cheesy arepas for your family, or shared homemade sprinkle-covered chocolate brigaderos with their friends? You can travel through Latin America together with your child through 70 recipes developed and written by Gabby Melian. 
all kid-tested and kid-approved by America's Test Kitchen Kids panel of over 15,000 at-home kid recipe testers. Plus, the Spanish-language glossary, fun personal stories, and peek into Gabby's own kitchen give this book important cultural context and make your learning experience extend far past the meal. It's a delicious win for all young chefs and their families. You can find Gabby's Latin American Kitchen everywhere that books are sold. Hey grown-ups, open a world of new taste with Kitchen Adventures, a monthly subscription of globally inspired recipes and activities for your young chef. Every month, try three to six kid-tested, kid-approved recipes from America's Test Kitchen Kids. And celebrate world foods with hands-on activities from award-winning children's brand Little Passports. Twist up the delicious flavors of Rome, Italy. Sample the mouth-watering delights of El Paso, Texas. Tour the tastes of Punjab, India, and more. Play, cook, and connect with Kitchen Adventures. Order yours today at littlepassports.com. And we are back. It's time for Ask a Grown-Up. Take it away, Chad. Thanks, Molly. It's crisped rice cereal week, which is a type of cereal that makes a very recognizable sound as soon as you add milk. So I got to wondering, does that sound have any effect on how this cereal tastes? In order to find out, I found an expert. So my name is Professor Charles Spence. I'm head of the Crossmodal Research Laboratory at Oxford University in the UK. You know, the Crossmodal Research Lab, where they do crossmodal research. Don't worry, I asked him to explain. So I'm a psychologist by training. Um, I'm interested in how we see and we hear, we touch, we taste, we smell the world around us um, and how our brains kind of put together the inputs from the different senses to give rise to the experiences uh, we all know and sometimes love. I want to know kind of how important each of our senses is to what we taste, what we like uh, and what we dislike. I asked Charles what was actually happening in our brain when we were eating crisped rice cereal or any other food. So uh, most of the time when we eat or drink, um, we will hopefully have some taste sensation in our mouth. Maybe we pick up the sweetness, the salty, the bitter, the sour. Our mysterious fifth taste of umami, kind of a proteinaceous yumminess. So we have the taste... We'll also have kind of the aroma being pushed out of the back of our mouth whenever we swallow and chew, uh, combined with uh, what we see um, and the sounds we hear as we chew or crunch. And initially, each of those sensory inputs, well, they all come from the food itself to begin with. They're kind of processed by different bits of our brain. Um, so the sight of that food is being, uh, what did I see is being figured out at the back of my brain. Uh, the taste of the food is being figured out in the taste part of the brain at the front. What I heard when I crunched into, say, that toast is being processed in the hearing bit of the brain at the sides. So we have this one moment of, I'm going to take a bite of crisp dry cereal. And that one moment gets split up into what I just saw, what I just heard, what I just tasted, what I just smelt, and what did I just feel? And the challenge for our brains when we're tasting something noisy, is to figure out how to kind of recombine all of these different sensory inputs. The sound from the side of my brain, the visual input from the back of my head, this taste impression that I'm getting from the front of my brain. But in the end, what, it, what our brain's trying to do is, you know, put it all back together um, and convince us 
that everything we think about that taste is really happening in our mouth, in the thing we can feel moving around in there. Our brain isn't just combining our senses with each bite, though. To make things more complicated, it's also checking in with our memories to sort of ask, what do I already know about the food that I'm about to eat? You know, when was the last time you put something in your mouth and didn't know what it was? We never do that. We always, you know, we could be poisoned if we put something in our mouth, so it's a really important decision. Maybe one of the most dangerous things we do is eat, uh, as been said. Um, so our brain, before we ever put anything in our mouths, has already made a prediction. What it is, does it have lots of energy, do I like it? Um, and then when we actually put the food in our mouth and we bite into it, we get the actual taste sensations, we hear the crunch. Um, then our brain sort of checks that prediction we had. So, with all of that in mind, crisped rice cereal. I started by asking Charles if he was familiar with the sound of crisped rice cereal. Ah uh, yes, the snap, crackle and pop. And I asked how that sound might affect the cereal's taste. So, on the one hand, I think when, it, when it's sort of the sounds of preparation, those sounds signify what's coming next, and they kind of get our taste buds going, and they get our, our, our salivating in preparation, so they set expectations. So in short, when we hear the snap, crackle, and pop of Rice Krispies, our brain might be stopping to say, wait, I know that sound. Last time I heard it, I got some delicious cereal. And so the sound allows our brain to make a guess about the taste of what we're about to eat, which could influence or have an effect on the whole eating experience. And the other part maybe about why we like noisy foods is I think that maybe it draws attention into our mouth. Normally when we're eating, we're playing a video game, watching TV, checking our social media posts or something. We're not really concentrating on the food. Um, so our attention's not in our mouth, it's elsewhere. It's with our technology or with our friends or something. Um, but when we have something noisy to eat, it's uh, crisp or crunchy, then suddenly that sound in your mouth kind of draws your concentration in so you're more aware of what you are eating. Um, and that can help to enhance the flavour Charles says might, because like many questions in science, it hasn't exactly been proven yet. Which is fine. Uh, I think that's sort of a fun place to be as well, just to uh, generate some ideas. I mean, there, yeah, there is a mystery there. Um, and yeah, one day I'm sure some smart scientist, not sure in which discipline, will come along and hopefully um, uh, resolve the matter. And maybe that scientist will be one of the young chefs listening today. A big thank you to Professor Charles Spence from the Crossmodal Research Laboratory. Grown-ups, if you want to learn more about Charles's work, check out his book, Gastrophysics, The New Science of Eating, wherever books are sold. Back to you, Molly. Great job, Chip! Oh, hey, Mitzi, thanks. And great job, Mitzi! Mitzi, does that mean that you... Absolutely crushed the backward swizzle? Oh, yeah, she did. I couldn't have done it without you, Meg. I mostly just cheered you on. Hey, friends. Andrea here. Hi, Andrea. Hey, Andrea. Ready for how-to time? You bet. What's on the docket this week, Andrea? I've got a curveball for you this week, Maggie. Ooh, exciting. Our ingredient theme this week is crisped rice cereal. But unfortunately, there aren't really any kitchen techniques that I can teach you about that. Really? I thought you might be teaching me how to puff rice or something. Well, as we learned in the scoop... Rice cereal is actually made of a paste made of cooked rice and a few other ingredients that is then formed back into a rice grain shape. That's not really a process we can replicate here in the test kitchen or at home. That's true. 
We just heard on Ask a Grown-Up that it involves special equipment. Right. And while you can puff up actual grains of rice at home, that process involves deep frying, which could be difficult for some young chefs. Oh, yeah. I want all our listeners to be able to do all the things we learn about, too. Of course. So with that in mind, today I'm going to teach you a kitchen technique that you are going to use all the time. How to make an aluminum foil sling. An aluminum foil sling? That sounds like some kind of shiny hammock. (laughs) It does kind of, doesn't it? A foil sling is a way to line a baking pan. The foil hangs over the sides so that in addition to keeping food from sticking to the pan, it also makes it much easier to get your finished product out of the pan. You can use the part hanging over the edge to lift what you've baked right out. Oh, that does seem useful. It really is. Are you ready to learn how to make one? You can count on me. Okay. We're going to practice making a foil sling for an 8 by 8 inch baking pan. For a pan this size, we'll need two long sheets of foil that measure 8 inches across and about 13 inches long. Baking pan, check. So for me to measure foil using a ruler, I'm going to use my own tactile ruler. This ruler has a raised line every inch I can feel in order to measure how long something is. I'll place this ruler down on the foil and count these raised markers until I reach 8 inches across, matching the width of the baking pan. And now I'm going to make sure that it's 13 inches long, and boom! 8 across and 13 long. Now, I'll use this piece of foil to measure the second one, since they are the same size. And there we go! Two sheets of foil, check! So, next, we're going to fold each sheet of foil to match the width of the baking pan. Both sheets should wind up being the same width. Do you want to try that, Maggie? Do you need any help? No worries, I can do it. Foil is pretty shiny, so I don't have a problem seeing it on the counter. Okay, how is this? Those look great. Next, we're going to lay the sheets of foil in the pan so that they're perpendicular to each other. For our listeners at home, perpendicular means two lines that crisscross each other. That's mostly right, Maggie. Good explanation. Those two crisscrossy lines also have to be evenly spaced, dividing the foil into four equally sized squares. So what you want here is for one sheet of foil to cross over the other in the center of the pan. If you think of the pan as a compass, lay one sheet of foil from north to south and one sheet from east to west. Let the extra foil hang over the edges of the pan. Check and check. Does that look right, Andrea? The whole pan is covered with foil now. That looks perfect, Maggie. Great job. The last thing we need to do is push the foil into the corners of the pan and smooth it down so it's resting flat against the bottom and sides. Awesome! So now it's ready for... What is it ready for? You can use a foil sling when you bake lots of things. Brownies, cakes, bars, anything you don't want stuck to the inside of the pan. Remember to check your recipe. Sometimes it will call to spray the sling with vegetable oil spray, which also helps prevent sticking. One more question. What if I want to make a sling for a different sized pan? Good question, Maggie. 
The technique is still the same. You just need to use sheets of foil that are large enough to cover whatever size pan you're using with enough leftover to hang over the edges. That part is important because when your food is baked and cooled, you'll use that overhang to lift it out of the pan. This was great, Andrea. No more brownies stuck in the pan for me. Happy to help, Maggie. See you next week. I always love learning new things. Speaking of learning new things, Mitzi, now that you've mastered the backwards swizzle, what will you work on next? Great question, Molly. The next thing I'll be working on is probably still the backwards swizzle. Because even though Meg helped me figure out how to do it, I'm not actually that good at it yet. I'm still very wobbly, and I definitely fell over a few times. Mitzi, I'm so proud of you. Molly, I just told you I'm not good at it. Why are you proud of me now? Well, after your first ice skating lesson, you wanted to quit because you weren't perfect at it right away. And now look at you. You're asking for help, working hard to learn new things, and it seems like you're having fun. Yeah! Golly, Molly, that's so nice of you. I am working hard, and it is fun. Even though my backward swizzles are really wobbly, I was so happy when I did it the first time. It made all that hard work and practice feel so worth it, and I'm excited to keep getting better. Gah, this is so nice. It's making me want to practice some new moves, too. Oh, do you want to pick one we could both work on together? I really loved ice skating with you today. It'd be fun if we practiced together more, even if it's just to cheer each other on. I would love that. Have you done half swizzles in a circle before? I have a few times, but I'm not the best at them. I'd love to work on them together. Woohoo! You and I are going to become the swizzliest whizzes there are. I'll just have to clear a second shelf in the walk-in freezer. <laughs> uh, where are you putting the things that used to be on these shelves, Mitzi? Well, it seems like maybe we are out of time for today, listeners. Bye-bye! That's right, but we'll be back with another serial awesomely great episode next time. We'll be talking about texture in our pressing questions segment, followed by a courtroom drama in our wild card. And remember, at the end of the season, we'll be using all of our ingredients in a very special mystery recipe to cook together. Can you guess what it is yet? So far, we know it will contain water, brown sugar, walnuts, oats, and crisped rice cereal. We're getting closer. If you love Mystery Recipe, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And feel free to leave us a review. We love reading them. Until then, keep, keep on, on cooking. cooking. Mystery Recipe is hosted by me, Mitzi, and I am a starfruit, and Molly Birdbaum, who is a honey crisp apple. Chad Chennai is a writer and producer. He is a kumquat. Andrea Vavjan is a kanepa, and Katie O'Hara is a lemon, and they are both contributing writers on our show. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio, with sound design supervision by Matt Boynton. He's a nectarine. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Chester Guazda, a banana, and additional engineering by Eric Gorman, a raspberry. Jonathan Roberts composed our theme music, and Jonathan is a mangosteen. Our director of post-production is Hen Margolis. She is a pomegranate. Our director of production is Diane Knox, who is also a dragon fruit. 
fact-checking by Julia Arwin, a watermelon. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher, and she's a blueberry. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. He's a mango. David Nussbaum is our CEO, and he's also a raspberry. Special thanks to our senior science editor, Paul Adams, executive editor, Kristen Sargianis, executive food editor, Susanna McFerrin, art director, Gabby Hominoff, deputy food editor, Afton Cyrus, associate editors, Andrea Vavjan, Katie O'Hara, and Tess Berger, editorial assistant, Julia Arwin, photo test cook, Ashley Stoyanov, test cook, Faye Yang, and managing producer, Yumi Araki. This episode was written by Katie O'Hara. This episode featured the voices of Kira O'Sullivan and Nefertiti Matos Olivares. Thanks again to our sponsor, Driscoll's. Mystery Recipe is a production of America's Text Kitchen Kids. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between and beyond, Don, Don, Don. Welcome to the first annual ice skating showcase for talented and amazing kitchen utensils. Swizz, 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 Woohoo! The crowd's all saying swizz, 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 woohoo! First, we have Mitzi, the extraordinary skating oven mitt, aka the Swizz Wiz, aka Mitzi the Marble. AKA my close personal friend. She's known for her amazing skill in going forwards and also in going backwards. She's also known for occasionally falling. Nancy, are you okay? Do you want me to keep announcing? I'm good. (laughs) Keep going, please. And she's up. Amazing recovery by the pink oven net. And amazing announcing by the excellent egg timer. Whee! Okay, let's switch announcing. On shelf number two, she's an egg timer. She's an ice skater. She's a combination egg timer ice skater. Hi, grown-ups. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our newsletter. If you love the fun food content we share on Mystery Recipe, then sign up today for our ATK Kids newsletter to receive even more recipes, activities, and stories from me straight to your inbox. As a mom of two, I always try to include things that are important to my family, and it's a great way to hear about all the new things we are cooking up at ATK. Plus, every new email added will be entered for a chance to win three free ATK Kids books for toddlers through teens. We'll draw 10 winners every month while the promotion lasts. And we have some great books available all the time. Head to atkkids.com newsletter to sign up today for your chance to win.